this is, I think, where we're going to wrap this up. Uh, th there's some other stuff I'm going to share uh, either on Facebook Live away from this setting or on the podcast or both. I haven't really figured it all out yet. But um, we're, we're actually combining two messages. So you're, you're going to have to do a little digging on your own, and that's okay. Um, that that's kind of what we're called to do is just as pastors a lot of times we feel like we're called to dig the hole for you when God's really telling us to hand you the shovel so anybody ever have that moment with dad you go out in the yard and hey we're gonna go dig a hole dad says it that way we're gonna go dig a hole and then he hands you the shovel if you haven't had that moment yet, you, dads, you're missing an opportunity, okay? They'll never forget. My dad said, hey, we're going to dig a goldfish pond in the backyard. We, okay? I didn't know we meant he was going to supervise my brother and I digging an eight-foot-wide hole that was three-and-a-half to four feet deep. And we dug it with shovels. We have friends that have excavators, and we're talking, you'd have to take like six nails out of the fence. But no, here's a shovel. Okay, so this morning, church, as we go through this, here's your shovel. Uh, enjoy the dig. But uh, we're looking at the mission and traditions of the family. And, and, and I want you to understand that this is all biblically based. And, and it is designed for us to continue to take back the the most important unit within the body of the church is the family. And, and we've gotten so far away from that in the modern church where if a young couple gets married and has small children, suddenly, you know, we just kind of, oh, well, good luck. We'll, we'll see you like 15 years down the road when your kids can function on their own in church. We'll, we'll try and reincorporate you into the serving and the worship of the church. And, and that's really kind of how it felt, you know, when, when we had kids, it was like, hey, you know, we're, we're not going to ask you to do that because you have kids. Anybody ever run into that? You know, and it's not just church, other places in the world. You know, you have young kids, we're not going to ask that because you're so busy. You know what? The, the farther I get into this, the more wrong I see that to be because where are my kids going to learn to serve in the church if they don't see mom and dad doing it? Where are they going to learn it? You know, are they going to take that 10 to 15 year hiatus where maybe they come to church, maybe they don't? Why did the church lose so much attendance? Because that was the model that was adopted. Where I want you to understand in this church with this body of people, you matter. There's a place for you to serve in this body. There's a place for you to join with us in worship in this body. I don't care if you're four and you're the goofy offering taker or if you're 97 and you're the goofy offering taker. You know, I, I'm telling you, he walks like a little old man sometimes, so it works. But we, and this may be my favorite of this series because it, it points us back to as a family what are we doing and how are we doing it and 
And again, this is all based on the thought of the most effective attack the devil has made on the church was the deconstruction of the family unit, where, you know, it's mom is having to drag kids to church if they're going to go to church at all. Dads are absentee a lot of times because they're working or doing other things. And, and I want you to understand that just because dad doesn't come to church doesn't mean he can't be the spiritual leader in the home. I've got friends that are some of the best Christian men I know, but their job makes them work on Sunday. And praise God, because two of the guys are police officers, and I would not feel safe in their city if, if guys like them weren't working on Sunday. Okay? These are great guys. They're some of the baddest men on the planet. One of them's a SWAT officer, and oh, I could spend days. It's like I'm a fanboy of my friend. But... <clears throat> Dude from draw to shot at a 15-foot target was like 1.6 seconds. I mean, that, that's old West gunslinging. It's, okay. Anyway, <clears throat> the family has a God-given mission. And this goes all the way back to Genesis. Okay, Genesis 1.28, God said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. The King James says, and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea. Hallelujah, we're called the fish. Uh, the birds in the sky, quail hunters, unite. And, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Anybody else like some beef? Bring on the beef. Hey, pigs walk on the ground too. Okay, we're not, we're not Jewish. Okay. <clears throat> There's a reason I love me some bacon cheeseburgers. Okay. But four things... Okay, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, and rule. Those are the mission that God gave mankind. And he put that mission into a family unit from the very beginning. Because can a man be fruitful by himself? Yes, he can be fruitful. But can he multiply by himself? No. Okay? A woman can be fruitful by herself, but can she multiply by herself? No, you had to put them together and start a family. The other thing is, it's very hard to subdue the earth by yourself. Okay, The, the real struggle with this, and I get so mad at Adam and Eve every time I read the Bible. The garden, have, if you ever really read about the garden and you sit down, the garden is the place I want to farm. Not going to have to deal with weeds. The animals aren't being pests and tearing up your fences or tearing up your crops. It was the perfect place to subdue the earth. It was an easy place to do it. And then mankind sinned and the mission did not change. But the earth that we're trying to portray the mission on did. And we have to see that, that the original orders were about bringing order to the chaos even within the garden there was enough chaos so to speak that adam was called to do certain things to give it structure our world today is full of chaos and your family is to be an isle or an island let me put that in less king jamesy terms it's to be an island of order amidst a sea of chaos 
You just have to step out your door and you don't even have to step out your door. Turn on your TV and turn the news on. You'll see the chaos. I'll take the shot. Turn on Disney Plus. You'll see the chaos. There, there are no safe havens in the world. The only safe haven was, is within your home because you bring order to the chaos. You subdue it. This is my front yard. I told Arlene not to laugh at me. She's going to laugh at me anyways. This is my front yard. When we bought the property, it had not been maintained for several years. And that really brown dirt patch on this side a couple of weeks ago was nothing but big broadleaf weeds that slowly, every time I go in the yard, I try and pull five weeds. I didn't make it where I pull 15 or 20 because I don't like bending over that much. Uh, I'm not in it for the ab workout. But slowly, I am subduing that part of the yard where the Bermuda grass can take back over, bringing order to the chaos of my front yard. This is something that, men, we can understand. When you go plow field, you, you want to get all the weeds exposed to the sun so they dry rot and die and then you go till it again then you sow seed and then at some point you're going to spray it to try and kill off the offspring of those weeds that are going to come back because they're weeds that's what they do uh, this is my backyard also had a huge bear patch because it's in the shade uh, the the other struggle we run into and this is a completely different sermon series dealing with weeds but uh a bunch of these weeds came up as my young grass was coming up. I couldn't just go pull them because I was going to pull out good grass, and this is fescue. It doesn't spread, or it doesn't spread rapidly. So it was the only thing I could get to grow in the shade, so I get a dandelion crop with it. If any of you are those weird vegan people that like to eat dandelions, my backyard is open. Come and harvest. But... What, what making order out of the chaos in our family should look like is we're making our family a hub for the work of the gospel. And, and there was a Greek word that was used for this. It's called oikos, which is kind of funny. That's the name of a yogurt now, but uh, I don't know why they named their yogurt that. But it, it was a, a central hub that you could build foundationally from. And, and this is something that we, we've overlooked. I've overlooked this a lot in the gospel. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out 72 guys to begin doing gospel work, to begin spreading the message of the kingdom. And he tells them to be very precise as they go out and to search out in every city for a man of peace. And if they don't find a man of peace there, to shake off their sandals and go to the next town. And I looked at that and I thought, man, what is that about? A man of peace. And this is how a man of peace is described. He has a household that can help supply the needs of gospel workers and made his home a hub of discipleship. Because most of these gospel workers that were sent out were not family units. They were single men. And the struggle we have as a New Testament church is most of the guys that wrote the New Testament acted as single guys. They went out to do the work of the gospel as single guys. 
And, and I want you to understand that if God calls you as a single person to serve Him, the, the Scripture is very clear that you're supposed to serve Him with everything you have. But if you're married, your first and primary ministry is to your family. Now, if we get families, because most of us here have families, there's a few single among us, go, you know, go. You know. <laughs> I'm telling you, go, buddy. Yeah, I'm, <clears throat> poor Garrison, I look at him a lot. But <laughs> as a single man, you can just wholeheartedly chase after ministry for God in, in broader out there terms whereas a family man your ministry begins here and what if as families we searched out a way to become the man of peace where our our primary mission at home was to make our household a hub for the gospel where when people came in, they instantly knew that they were in a house of people who loved and served Jesus. They felt that love regardless of what they do in life. You know, re regardless of, of their political stance, regardless of, of how they identify themselves sexually or, you know, ideologically. When they come into your house, do they feel the love of Jesus? And they wonder why your house is different. And when they ask, you get to tell them. Because the Bible's very clear. Be instant in season and out of season for the hope to tell them, to explain that hope that lies within you. What happens if, if you begin to steward your finances in such a way that you can host young, single, gospel workers that... Man, I just, I just need a place to work for a summer where maybe I teach Sunday school and, and preach a few times for the pastor. You've become a, a man of peace. Because how do you train up the next generation of pastors? You've got to give them a chance to come do the work. How do you train up missionaries? You don't just ship them off to Africa and say, good luck. Most of them need to come serve somewhere where they already speak the native language and they learn how to serve and how to love people and what it is to be a guest in someone's home. We're created to be a subduing and ruling family. How many of you think of your family as our family rules? Okay, the only time I've seen that in a movie was not in a good context and, and they ended up driving over a banana peel and sliding off a cliff. If you know the movie, you're a 90s child and we're all laughing together. If you don't, I'm not recommending it. It's not a great film. <laughs> but we're, we're called to subdue and to rule. I, I love that I, I get to preach the gospel in a, in a farming and ranching community because you guys know what it is to subdue the land, to subdue animals. And, and the really ornery ones, you either eat them or you sell them. You know, it's still ruling. But, you know, when we live in town, it's a little, how do, we, how do I subdue the world and, and, and rule in town? And, and it's very simple. You take the very best care of what you've been given, multiply it, and share it. 
That's what's subduing and ruling. Why, why was the mafia so influential in the, in the Depression era, pre-Depression, through the Depression, and all the way up into the 70s? They were really influential in the U.S. because they understood how to multiply and, and to expand their ruling power through giving. If I give Scott a favor, I'm going to expect a favor in return at some point. Is how the mob worked. In Christianity, we're not called to ask for a favor back, but we're called to be an instrument of blessing and, and watch as God multiplies that blessing in the lives of people around us and in our own family. And you're called to rule in your household. There are things that don't happen in the Manning house because... The buck stops here. We're not watching that. We're not listening to that. We're not going to that event. Because it's not because I'm overlording, but I'm doing the job that Jesus called men to do. We're supposed to represent Jesus in our house. And you become the sheep gate. Why will my daughters not date losers? Because dad is the sheep gate. And if dad's not there, I've got a system in place where I've got good men of God that are going to step in and be the sheep gate. Because I want our family heritage to keep moving forward. Mark chapter 10, verses 43 through 30 through 45, about took us back to the future. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. How do you subdue the world around you? Serve them. They don't know what to do with it. How do you get your family to fall in line a little bit? Dads, I'll tell you, serve them. Serve them. It will blow their mind. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Dads, we understand what it is to go work hard and to sacrifice to, to make money for our family. I want you to understand you take it a step farther and when you come home, serve them. Serve them. Not just with your money, but with your time, with your energy, with your focus. Go to bed absolutely exhausted and you've won the day. Because you gave everything that God called you to give. I know. I'm guilty of it too. I come home from a long day of work and the recliner starts speaking to me. There may come a day I throw my recliner in the front yard and set it on fire. It is my biggest hang up to spending time with my children. My wife would say, no, that's your cell phone, but where do I use it? In the recliner. We are created to be fruitful, to be, and I left A out of there, a fruitful and multiplying family. Okay, you're called to bear fruit. Okay, John chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. My goal in life is not to be in the coach's hall of fame. My goal in life, if they have such a thing as a preacher's hall of fame, is not to be there either. My goal in life is that my children would know that their dad loved them and he loved them because Jesus loves them and that they would know Jesus in a personal way and that they would be full, so full of Jesus they couldn't help but share him with the world. 
That, that's the fruit that will last. We got the multiply part right. We've got plenty of kids to do that through. And, and I'll tell you, the, the beautiful thing about the husband-wife dynamic is we're there to build on each other's strengths and to cover the other's weakness. The reason Eve was taken from a rib, she's supposed to be close to you and to protect your, your vulnerable parts. You know, if a rib breaks off and stabs through the lungs and the heart, you're dead. I'll just tell you. That's the way the body works. So, wife, don't be the broken rib killing your husband. But husband, you're also called to pull that rib in close to where she feels safe. Where she feels your strength and your protection. Man, this turned into a marriage seminar. Sorry. But that is where your first ministry is because the the mystery of all of this design was that our relationship as the church with Jesus, Jesus is to represent the groom and we're to be the bride. We're supposed to step into his into his protection and safety while being willing to share the best of what he is with everyone else. It's a hard mystery. But the, the second part of this is building family traditions that will last for generations. If you want to build a multi-generational family, and, and going back and looking at Abraham, Abraham didn't just say, well, I'm going to do what's best for me. I'm going to get all I can, can all I get, and sit on my can. Abraham's goal was to leave an inheritance that blessed the world because that's what God told him he would do. And his, his inheritance came to us. If you pay attention, without Abraham, we don't get Isaac, Jacob. We can keep going down. David and ultimately Jesus Christ. They all come through Abraham. Okay, that, That's a staggering thing that no one in the New Testament church emphasizes enough is that Jesus descended all the way from Abraham. Abraham was not worried about Abraham. Abraham was worried about leaving enough to this, this promise that God had given him to be a blessing to all nations. How differently will you approach your day-to-day if you think about multiplying what you have enough to bless this part of the world and, and wherever your children go for generation after generation after generation? And not all of that is money. Okay. The, the first way you do this is live a well-ordered family life. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, For God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. Okay. Yesterday, our kids absolutely hated yesterday, and I loved every minute of it. Because everybody had to clean their room yesterday. Our house was just completely chaos. And the reason we had to clean it is because nobody could rest. It was uncomfortable because there was just clutter everywhere. And if your life is so cluttered that you cannot function and lay your head down at night and have some peace, you need to declutter your life. You need to put your life in order. You as a family need to come together and decide you know, this is what we really can do. This is what we can't do anymore because we're, we're burning the candle at both ends and we're not seeing any light. 
a way to do this is what, what we call living in sevens. This was the godly design that you were to live in a structure of seven days. Over and over and over and over. Anybody like repetition? Elementary teachers better be raising their hands because that's how they teach us. Repetition, repetition, repetition. Baseball and softball coaches, you teach through repetition, repetition, repetition. Football coaches, let's run that play one more time. 17 times later, let's run that play one more time. We're going to run it till we get it right. Then we're going to run it till we can't get it wrong. Okay? The, the, this is actually a godly design. In, in Mark chapter 2, verse 27 and 28, then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man. The, the Sabbath, which is the seventh day, was made for man. But who, who observed it first? If you go back to Genesis, God did. God said, on day seven, what did he do in creation? He rested. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That, that's a hard one to get our brain around. Because why, why do we struggle with taking Sunday or taking a day of the week and just resting? Because we're men. And we're not getting anything done. I'm not getting any amens out of the men this morning. This is hurting. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And I want you to understand, I'm not being the, the Pharisees that said you couldn't walk more than so many feet on the Sabbath or, you know, praise God, Scott doesn't adhere to that. Last week we had some amazing food at lunch because Scott worked on the Sabbath, which, you know, I, I did not pull the Father's Day joke about, Happy Father's Day, now cook for us, you know, because that, that's how it happens to dads a lot. But if you live where... One day a week, you take a truth Sabbath and you allow yourself not just to rest, but to, to really focus in on, on resting in the peace and the comfort that comes from the Lord, hearing from Him, studying His Word, and, and just unplugging from the craziness of this world, you'll find that your family will grow stronger together. Because when you get all the outside, get the weeds out, the grass gets better. I'm going to keep coming back to that, sorry. But anyone who's a good planner knows that if you just plan a week in advance, you're going to have stuff sneaking up on you, and you only have a week's notice. Anybody like to Christmas shop last minute? I was going to pray for them to be delivered. Because if you wait till the last minute to Christmas shop, you will see the worst humanity has to offer. And you might become some of the worst humanity has to offer because I got run over by shopping carts. I wasn't Christmas shopping. I was just walking around and watching. You know, I went to Black Friday. I, I promise you the majority of my Christmas shopping is done in October now because of my one Black Friday experience at Walmart. I got run over by three different old ladies with shopping carts. And I'm not talking a little bump into you and say, oh, I'm sorry, honey. I'm talking I almost went flying and wiping out end cap displays. Uh, this, this one stack of Nerf guns just about ate it. If I hadn't stayed there holding it until an associate came, it was going to crash. And, and none of them turned back and said, oh, sorry. No, they just kept going. And, and it's not like, you know, when 
really old people drive a car and they bump something and go on. Maybe they didn't notice. This lady, you know, she sped up when she hit me. I don't know. Some of the traumatic stuff we got to work through. But you craft a year out with your family where, where you set aside and, and you know what you're going to celebrate, when you're going to celebrate birthdays, anniversaries, when you're going to take time away to just go with your family and be, be with your family. Your pastor is never going to gripe about you doing that. Okay, one of the best things as a young Christian, I had spoken into my life by a, a pastor I love very dearly. His name's Aaron Cole out of Stillwater. He, he preached an entire sermon based around the thought of come aside before you come apart. And what a powerful message to families. Even if all you can afford to do is go get ice cream, get in the car and go get ice cream. Come aside before you come apart. And if you need a Sunday where you're out on the creek fishing instead of being in here, then praise Jesus, sing some songs while you're fishing, and enjoy your family and enjoy nature. I'm not going to tell you that the path to heaven is you being in a pew every Sunday morning because there will be a lot of people that sit in pews because of obligation that have no relationship with Jesus that will wonder why he looks at them and says, depart from me, I never knew you. Ecclesiastes 3.1, a time for everything. There's a time for everything and every, a season for every activity under the heavens. The, this is by the wisest guy who ever lived. There's a time and a season for everything. And if you plan ahead, you won't be overwhelmed in those seasons. There's people right now, I know it, they're starting to check off Christmas ideas in their head. I shouldn't have gone there, but they are. Okay? <clears throat> I'm, I'm just thinking to the next holiday, which it, and we'll get to holidays in a minute. I'm going to come back to it. But start simple. Simple family tradition is family meals, where you gather around the table with the intent purpose of not just feeding your face, but having conversation. Having conversation. And we do this, um, we do this a lot. I'm going to explain it in just a minute, but uh, in Psalms 128, verses 3 and 4, it says, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. If you have your Bible and you're open to that, underline around your table. Okay? Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. In our house, we have chosen to, to slowly build into our tradition as a family, Shabbat. Shabbat is the Jewish traditional meal that kicks off the Sabbath. Their, their days start in the evening. It, we won't go into all the dichotomy of it, but Shabbat for us ha, has some very simple things. The, the first thing is we treat it as a fairly formal meal. Uh, we had Shabbat Friday night because Saturday was busy and you know the girls always put on dresses the guys you know we're we're not as formal because we just don't have that many formal clothes because we just don't do it and I really don't want four-year-old Titus wearing something formal at any meal because he bulldozes through his food but it, it begins with something very simple the 
the evening starts with mom lighting a candle. And that's the last thing that mom is required to do for the evening. Every woman in the house just shouted amen in her soul, okay? They may not have said it out loud, but they shouted it in their soul. And, and from that point, we go to what we call the blessings of the sons and the daughters. And this, if you were in Israel, this happens on the evening that begins the Sabbath. And the oldest patriarchal character in the room invites, and it's something as simple as, are there any sons in the room? And the sons all come together in the middle of the room, and he says a blessing over them. You know, it, and the, the blessing... You do what God leads you to do in our house. We tie the blessing back to people from the Bible all the way through current people that are living. Friday night's blessing was, may you have the faith of Abraham, the courage of Jacob, and the compassion of your grandpa, your pappy. And that's all the more there is. It doesn't have to be some long formal prayer. It's a blessing where you're speaking over their life and, and your heart is asking God to put these characteristics into your children so that they go on into the next generation. And then the mom or the grandma, whoever it is, I can't wait to get our house big enough to have grandparents come because we'll take a picture of our table and getting seven of us around it is a miracle. When we get our house finished and we have a bigger table, Shabbat will be opening up, okay? And we'll be inviting church family, so brace yourself. Uh, but a blessing of the daughters. And then we go and the father blesses the meal and we feast and we tell stories of our family history. We, we tell them the stories that our parents told us. I told them about a horribly ornery experience of my father when he was dating. And, and they all had a good laugh at it. And it, it's something where tell the stories of your family and pass them on. And then the evening's always concluded with a family activity. It doesn't have to be something masterfully crafty and creative. Uh, I, can, I can tell you of one I've observed in, in Stephanie's family, there's some Yahtzee players in that family. And I mean, they, I'm stealing one of their rules. Anytime somebody rolls a Yahtzee, they get a dollar. Because I love that. And, and we, we play Yahtzee because even the youngest among us with a little help can play Yahtzee. Uh, Friday night, we were a, a little lazier. We kind of watched a, a movie and had homemade ice cream. But we were together. And it was something we passed on. The other thing that becomes more important when, we, when we're driving our family as a mission is holy days. And, and now we've fallen into the Western culture of calling them holidays. But holy days were observed long before the U.S. And, and the, the first one that was ever mentioned is in Exodus, talking about the Passover. And when you enter the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask, what does this ceremony mean to you? You explain it. Well, next week, Independence Day is coming up. Why do we celebrate that? 
If you tell them to ask your history teacher, shame on you. Why do we celebrate that? If you don't know as a red-blooded American why we celebrate Independence Day, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Or as my friend John Cooper says, I smell communism. But no. <clears throat> you have got to explain to your children why you celebrate holidays. And if there's holidays you don't celebrate because they're, they're not something that you can say with a, a clear conscience in your heart that God would want me to celebrate that, explain it to your children. It's not for them to go and tell someone at school that, you know, there's not a tooth fairy or, you know, that's not what it's about. You explain to them why you do what you do. Why we make a big deal out of Christmas. Why we make a big deal out of Easter. Why Pentecost matters when they hear that phrase. Why... And you, you go through the Word of God and you get to explain things to them through events they see on the calendar. And, and that's going to challenge some of us because a lot of us may not know what Yom Kippur is. A lot of us may not fully understand Hanukkah, but it's eight crazy nights. <laughs> you know? You get to explain to them. And you get to teach them through your day-to-day -day living. And, and the, the one I didn't put up here is, is go on vacations. Go exploring our world together. So that they have memories that they see and they think. Every time we go on a trip, we try and find a souvenir that's useful that we know is gonna wear out. You know, we've already planned this year's trip. We're probably getting hoodies. And when it gets colder weather, you know, it's, it's very, very thought out. When it gets to be colder weather, that's many months from vacation. And they pull on this hoodie from vacation and they look at it and they say, oh, I remember. And they start to talk about the trip. And they remember that time bonding as a family. And suddenly, mom and dad look a lot smarter than we were because we're intentionally crafting these things we're we're going out to colorado at the end of next week and one of the places we're going my grandparents went there my parents went there i go there and hopefully if it stays in business my children will go there and they'll take my grandchildren and maybe i'll get to go with them as a grandparent, I can only imagine how fun that was. I, I for a long time, thought my grandma was crazy because she took eight of us grandkids and loaded us up and went on vacation. Didn't take her children. She took her grandchildren and cut us loose in a valley in Colorado and said, you know, go have fun. Go play mini golf. Go ride horses. Go, go ride, you know, tubes down the river. Just make sure you're back to the campsite by dark. You know, some of the greatest memories with my cousins were on that trip. Be intentional with your family. Going back to the mission of the family, you're called to be fruitful. You're called to multiply. And meaning the memory and the, the love and the experience is supposed to keep rolling through you into generations far beyond you. Subdue the earth. You're, you're not called to get caught up in the, the junk of this world. You're called to rise above it 
and to subdue it and to walk in the perfect peace of Jesus Christ and to rule. People get uncomfortable with that one and I'll just tell you that it's easy to rule when I know who my boss is. Okay, I'm just allotted part of the territory of the kingdom of heaven and I'm called to rule it like Jesus would rule it. And Jesus would rule it with love, mercy, and compassion. Because as we talked about, Scott brought it up in Sunday school, John 3.17, for God, you know, 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And God sent not his son into the world to condemn it, but that through him it might be saved. We're not called to be the overlording ruler. We're called to be the compassionate, merciful ruler that opens their eyes to the opportunity to be saved. Is your family on mission together? And maybe you're just starting out and it's a husband and wife and this is a great time to, to start where we're going to do this together and, and we're going to establish traditions for us as a husband and wife. People were shocked that Denise and I came in to a party last night without the kids. I'll tell you, part of what makes our family stronger is that mom and I, I still date their mother. I intentionally pursue her because Jesus intentionally pursues me. And that is, Jesus is the core of our family and he is the, the, the heart and the blood of our family mission. Is your family on mission today? Are, are you building into a mission and traditions that will last? Heavenly Father, thank you for today.